Walter? <laughs> Cuckoo's nest. It's, it's the best thing for him. I'm telling you, you know, he needs help. Take care of your dad. <laughs> I am your reality check! You got Cuckoo's nest, brother! You are not fit to be president. You gotta step down. I am Rick Flair, the president of the United States! No, no, no! From the General Court of Justice, Superior Court Division, capable of exercising rational judgment to be incompetent, be removed from the office of the presidency, you're fired. And you know what? You're going to wrestle me at Flammery. And you know what? If you beat me, you can run this damn company. You're fired, though. You, you want to fight me? You're fired. That's living proof you've lost your mind. Who's got Flair now? Jack Knight, Powerbomb! Flair is hurt, and it's looking better and better for Rowdy Rowdy Piper to control World Championship Wrestling. He's on his way to the rubber room. Straight Jacket City for Ric Flair. Who's next? I'm next. Me and Paige tonight for the World Heavyweight Belt. Here it goes again. Never get her. That's it. Shoot down. He's going to beat Goldberg. One, two. He's going in the tights. He's got the nuts. Something illegal. Illegal object. Oh! A spear. Mickey J. Down. The match is still going on with the referee. Goldberg's going to put him up in. He's going to jackhammer the man. Is there anybody to count? Nobody. No. Nobody there to count. We should have a new world champion right now. Page up. Oh, he hit him. He hit him. He's going to try to break his leg. Oh, the ankle. Angle or the knee. Remember what he did to Hogan. And he's not going to stop at Hogan. He's out to take Goldberg out once and for all. Oh, no. This is what he did to Hogan. Oh, oh Goldberg. put him out. They're putting Goldberg out. They're gonna oh, no. I cannot believe. Cody. I thought he was going to come out to help Paige to attack Goldberg. But he nails. Look at this. Paige. I can't believe what I'm seeing. Kevin Nash saved Goldberg. That is unbelievable. Rick Flair is still here. I know. He is disrupting the entire ward. He thinks this is a high-dollar hotel. What are we going to do about it? I don't know. I know exactly what I'm going to do about it. Attention, gentlemen. There will be no nitro tonight. What? Oh, no. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't want to hear anything else about it. We will. No nitro tonight. I'm sorry. Guess what? I'm sorry. No. Here it
on, give her, give her. There we are, look at us. Woo! Yeah, we come around the mouth and we come. Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, here we are heading towards the end of August. SummerSlam is this weekend that we're recording. I can't believe SummerSlam's already here. I haven't watched the product very closely in months. I feel like, you know how a lot of people say the year is going re- by really slowly? I feel like the wrestling year is going by really fast because I haven't been paying attention. So, uh, are you going to check out SummerSlam this year, sir? No. <laughs> Me neither. I don't think I am. Other than I am sort of intrigued by the Dominic Seth Rollins match as Seth Rollins ripped out Rey Mysterio's eyeball at the last pay-per-view. So I, I am curious to see the smoke and mirrors they put on in that match. So I might check that one out. But outside of that, not going to watch TakeOver. Tonight, though, uh, the day we're recording Saturday, AEW, uh, back Saturday Night Wrestling, live on TV, not pay-per-view. So uh, you have that to check out tonight if you want to on TNT. But by the time you're listening to this, it's, it's already over. Sorry to tell you that. But uh, that's what's going on as far as live wrestling action for this weekend, at least here in, in the States. What do you have for us from the news desk from this past few days, sir, since we just recorded on Tuesday? So we've only got a few days worth of news. The biggest story is Renee Young is finally leaving WWE. Yes, her... Uh, Real name, well, it was prior to her being married, Renee Paquette, uh, Canadian, and now it's Renee Good, because uh, John Moxley's real last name is Good. So Renee Young had been put on WWE backstage, and the show got canceled, and they weren't using her for anything. And so I don't really see why so many fans on Twitter were... In, in just disarray and dismayed that she was leaving because they're not using her. It's sort of like when they had Jim Ross under contract for two years and used him like once or twice, and that was it. So I understand that people respect her talent and, and feel like WWE probably squandered that. On Raw, when she was part of the three-man booth with Corey and Michael, I thought she did okay. She was a big improvement over Booker T. Sometimes towards the end of that run, her and Corey going back and forth really was distracting, and that's when she got moved to backstage. Well, really around the time that SmackDown went to Fox and they did the whole shake-up and shaked up all the announcer teams, basically. And... On backstage, I thought, well, maybe she's going to use this to springboard into other Fox Sports stuff, and maybe that's the plan. Or I, I don't really know the plan going forward, but she's the most professional broadcaster that they have that is ready for ESPN or, or the big times. Somebody that's not 
that you know someone like Corey Graves is not going to be offered a job as a sports center. I just hate to say it, but uh, she is. She's kept her credibility. She's knowledgeable. She's friendly, and she uh, is a good interviewer and was good at her job. And they squandered her talent. And I'm sure that when they fired her husband, or when her husband quit, he didn't get fired. He he quit. But when they mismanaged his character, I'm sure. And they also split them up when when she was on Raw and he was on SmackDown for a little while when they had just gotten married. I'm sure that didn't sit very well with her. So um, I think that, yeah, she'll be missed, but she wasn't being used. And um, she's she's got tons of opportunity in front of her. Uh, Where do you think she ends up? Where do you think she goes? What happens with Renee Young? AEW. They don't have a good, solid backstage interviewer. And I think that's because you don't see a lot of backstage stuff at AEW for that very reason. She's on to step right into that role. See, I think she's past backstage interviewer. I think that she's ready for the commentary booth uh, if they decide to go that route. If they ever get the second show, I mean, if Dark gets put on TV. I certainly wouldn't want her put on dark as uh, you know, as a YouTube series or whatever. I feel like that would be a waste of her talents, but I think if they ever take dark to cable and, or get a different show, I, I'm not saying they they have to use dark as the B show. If they ever do a B show or if they ever do a recap show or something to, you know, Side, uh, side programming for their I mean they already do like being the elite and all these these side pieces that you're supposed to follow to be along with the product but if they ever uh, want to launch something similar to WWE backstage but obviously have realistic expectations of who's watching I think she'd be good at that but honestly I think that She's not going to go back into pro wrestling. I think that, yeah, so you've already got WWE's Charlie Caruso, and she works on ESPN right now and, and does WWE. She's double dipping, so she is on first take, I think, and uh, hosts that or at least fills in from time to time. I'm not sure if she's the permanent host, but so I kind of think that's where... Renee would be interested in going or staying with Fox Sports or moving into basketball or football or baseball coverage because she's just she could be a sideline reporter. She just knows whatever it is that she is assigned with. She really does the legwork as Paul Heyman. I mean, put a big there's a big section in that Paul Heyman documentary where he hypes up how good she is at her job. So. This also shows that Paul Heyman's influence over the WWE is completely gone because now he's lost his job running Raw and now he's one of his protégés is leaving. So uh, you've seen that they've kind of, you know, uh, thumbed their nose at whatever Paul Heyman's ideas for the company are, which was to be expected. I mean, it happened a lot. They gave him a lot more time than I thought they were going to do, but that's. When when Bischoff and Heyman were hired, 
I immediately thought, well, why would Heyman do this job? Because he already did it once before, and it ended in disaster. <laughs> and this time, it didn't end in disaster, but it ended because they just don't value his ideas. And so they'd rather go with Bruce Pritchard. So they'd rather go with Vince's old uh, reliable. You know, you go with what you know, and you go back to the well with Bruce Pritchard, but I think, Renee, I think it's time to move on from pro wrestling, and I think it'd be a lot easier schedule on her to not have to especially go on the road with AEW once they resume going on the road. I mean, she'd be there with her husband, I guess, so it wouldn't be that bad, but I just, I see her getting out of... I just don't see it, man. I see her having some role in AEW strictly so she can be there with her husband. AEW just needs to carve out a spot for her because one of the things I like about AEW is that they don't do the standard. If she's going to, if you're saying backstage interviewer, one thing that I like about AEW is a lot of times they have, you know, pre recorded stuff and then, like, much like UFC does to, to build fights and stuff like that. So I, I prefer seeing those as opposed to my guest at this time. Tell me about your match. Goodbye. As long as they find something for her to do, that that would be fine. But, I mean, she's got... The world is full of opportunities as uh, sports are starting to come back slowly but surely and with or without fans, but they still need they still need announcer talent. They keep pushing uh, Excalibur in and out between Taz and between Jericho. So I think that they may put her seat at the table as well yeah well it just gets it just gets crowded up there (laughs) and um with the sec uh starting up their football schedule in late september that means tony Schiavone is going to not be available sometimes because he's going to be calling uh georgia football games on the radio so um yeah i don't they they could certainly use her as a as a fill-in and mix mix and match and and who knows who knows but the the world is at her feet and uh good for her for taking the leap and not just being left on the sidelines because that's all that was happening in the wwe with her and a lot of other people uh that that serve in those roles they get left on the sidelines constantly and when they canceled backstage, she was just left on the sidelines. So what else do you have for us from the news desk, sir? Well, the uh, federal government is an attempt to seize Ted DiBiase Jr.'s $1.5 million home. I'm assuming this is a spinoff of the 2019 audit, which showed some welfare money and things like that uh business deals for business deals with travel reimbursements and things like that that were used and were not filed correctly which now makes them think that he was stealing money from the state of mississippi well it wasn't even it wasn't him directly it was his brother brett was on the Mississippi Department of Human Services board. And this board determines who gets 
the state money for uh, state welfare grants or grants that go to nonprofits and um, social services and individuals in need as well. So it's it's just a giant pot of money, and they have a board, and this board gets together and says they get all these applications and they and they dole out the money. DiBiase's brother Brett was on the board and he was indicted. He's been indicted, and as we reported on, you were actually the one that brought this story to me because I hadn't I had not heard about this. And in fact, in some weird way, Ted DiBiase Jr. The Million Dollar Man, his brother Brett, and Brett Favre are somehow all connected in this because Brett Favre, I think, was maybe one of his charities received some of this money, not from DiBiase's like vote or something. But uh, so Brett Favre is somehow mixed up in this too. Like it's a lot of people. Brett Favre, a native Mississippian, and I think he got some grants for like football camps or something. And so it's. $94 million just goes missing. And, um, well, that was the pot. And they're now starting to look into, well, who got what? And where did it all go? And why did all these people that applied for it not get any? And uh, that's how the charges came down on Brett uh, DiBiase. And so Brett DiBiase gave a lot of money to his father's charity. Uh, now the federal government, obviously when you use money that they think is taken improperly, uh, they can seize your assets. And if you are given money improperly and they think you're in on it, they can seize your assets or, or attempt to. And so they are trying to take his one and a half million dollar home, which it's crazy that Ted DiBiase Jr. has a million and a half dollar home, by the way. I'm, I mean, I know he had a decent career in pro wrestling and uh, has been involved in the ministry, but a million and a half dollars? I mean, for a home? Jeez, like, I mean, maybe he bought that from his Marine uh, 2 money or whatever it was. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, they are going to try and seize that property they were actually in the middle of trying to sell it they were a week away from selling it and then the government stepped in and said uh we don't think so not not quite yet my friend it looks as if his brother has pled not guilty and the attorneys of brett dibiase paid to teach drug abuse class in mississippi even though his luxury drug rehab program in Malibu, California at this time. So he's living the high life, more or less. He is being charged with stealing $48,000 in welfare money. That is what Brett DiBiase is being charged with. The problem with the Christian ministry of Ted DiBiase Sr., and, and which Ted DiBiase Jr. is a huge part of, I mean, he was the one that produced that film, uh, they got $2 million uh, from the welfare funds. So, you know, Brett might have pocketed, you know, directly $48,000, but he was on a board that somehow, you know, gave $2 million to his own charity, basically, his own family charity. And I think 
this investigation is getting deeper and deeper, but um, doesn't look good. Because I don't think they really understood what was being given to them from what I'm reading here, that they were led to think that this was because it was a nonprofit because the their ministry camp that hosts underprivileged kids that does wrestling shows that it they were led to believe it was a nonprofit grants that were being given every quarter to make sure that they stay in business to help keep giving back to the community and what it boils down to is brett was just flat out stealing the money and giving it to him is what i'm more or less seeing right yeah that i mean that's the way i interpret it as well but at the same time when it's your own brother or your own son who's on this board (laughs) and a check comes for two million dollars uh, you know, I'm going to raise my eyebrows a little bit and say, how did you get this done, uh, brother? <laughs> and uh, he's going to say, I mean, what's he going to say back? Like, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And so maybe that's what happened. And uh, but nonetheless, it sucks that now uh, Ted DiBiase Jr. and possibly down the road, Ted DiBiase Sr., and whatever ministry they have, whatever uh, good that they were actually doing might be hurt by Brett getting them this money. And, you know, Ted and Ted Sr. both thinking, oh, well, we just got a grant like anybody else. I mean, they didn't they weren't on the board. They probably didn't have access to the books. They didn't say they didn't know. Oh, well, there's 94 million to dole up here. And because. I mean, you're talking about two out of 94 million to give away. That's a big chunk of change from the pot. Like if it was a grant for like a hundred grand or something, you'd probably be like, okay, I I get that. Like, because then it's spread around a little bit more, but you're talking about a big chunk. I mean, two million of nine, two over 94. I don't know exactly the percent. I'm not going to do the math on that. Sorry. That's why I got into uh, media. I'm not good at math, but, um, but now because their property is going to be seen as possibly being financed through this grant, like, and so now they're gonna, they're in danger of losing assets. And so, I'm sure Brett is going to have it's going to be an awkward Thanksgiving at the DiBiase house uh, this year. Uh, I just uh, don't know where this road ends. If if they're all able to be together. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't just Brett that was indicted, by the way. It was like uh, five other people on this board or five people in total. So it wasn't just Brett DiBiase on this board. Obviously, you have to have a vote on a board or you know, communication with others. So it was a it was an alleged conspiracy amongst a group of people that and we talked about this when when this story broke last year. But Patrick, if they hand you and me a bunch of money and someone says, "Okay, you two are in charge of handing all this out, uh, we're going to try and do the right thing. But it's going to be awfully tempting. And I'm not saying I would do it, but I've got a big pile of money here. And uh, it turns out 
I have family members that run a charity. Some of this money can go to charity. I think I might send a little their way. Oh, yeah, I'm not denying that. I probably would have done the same thing thinking, in Brett's case, thinking that I was doing the right thing. Because, yes, it is a family member, but at the same time, it is a charity. And it's a good charity that is helping the community in the northern part of Mississippi. It's not just one specific town or something. This is a chunk of the state. This is one of the biggest nonprofits charities in the entire state. And so. But at the same time, you have to realize that's a conflict of interest. And you have to realize that. You can't play favorites when it's not just going to charities. There was, I think, when we reported the story originally, like no no individuals that that applied for welfare received any in Mississippi for that year. So you also affected negatively the lives of people. And I'm not I'm not talking about people that abuse the welfare system because that's a very controversial thing or whatever but there are times when people are in need like this year for instance the pandemic i mean i have people in my life that are on unemployment for the first time in their life and they would never be on unemployment ever they would never take a dime but they've fallen on hard times and so you've also hurt mississippians your fellow mississippians by taking this money away and i mean there's a long way to go in this case, so we'll see what develops out of it. But it, it does suck for the non-Brett DiBiases that um, they might face consequences, not necessarily le- like legal consequences, but have their property seized, have anything that they purchased after Brett got on that board is probably considered possibly you might have used the money for that. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. When And when when the government wants to seize your property, it's an uphill battle. As uh, Vern Gagne, uh, when he got out of the AWA, the AWA was out of business, he had a lot of property on Lake Minnetonka, and the government wanted it. And he spent the last bit of his fortune, basically, from the AWA fighting the government, and the government eventually seized his property to turn it into a park. So when the government wants something of yours, eminent domain, or whether they think it's an asset that you obtained through um, funneled funds from some, they're going to probably get it. You're fighting an uphill battle, so that's unfortunate. Now, um so we'll just have to see how how this plays out. Uh, okay. Uh, well, speaking of wrestlers who have made movies, as we mentioned, there was the the Ted DiBiase uh, uh, documentary slash testimonial film that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, coming out here in a couple of weeks, we mentioned David Arquette's last week, which will be out this coming week. So uh, check that out. You can't kill David Arquette, but on uh, September 8th is the release of Nail in the Coffin, the ri- the fall and rise of Vampiro, which I'll include the trailer in this podcast, but it really seems to focus on Vampiro's uh, struggles with addiction, struggles with uh, 
injuries, his career, um, and then, but really, it focuses on him and his daughter, which I think is a really interesting dynamic. And it's not, it's not like a bad relationship. Like he has a young daughter. It's not like it's not like Jake the Snake, where you had a very, very like in Beyond the Mat. This is a daughter watching her dad decline but still want to hang on to wrestling and the difficulty he has walking away even from not even being an in-ring performer but by doing uh you know walk out and get attacked just those kind of spots like she doesn't even want him doing that and uh, how the doctors are asking him about all his concussions and i think last year you talked about how he has like early onset alzheimer's and stuff so i think this is a going to be a really good watch and i actually don't know much about vampiro uh from his early days in mexico and stuff you know vampiro was basically introduced to me by wcw so i am really curious to watch this vampiro's always seemed like a guy that was pretty open a pretty outspoken guy a guy that uh, didn't seem like a jackass or an egomaniac of any kind and so Thanks for seeing me again. Yeah, no problem. How many concussions you had? I think 20. Four. How are you even walking? When I started wrestling, I had a mission to become an iconic person in my industry. Wrestling's your life, I know, I get it. But you gotta stop. Where am I gonna go? I get you out now, maybe your daughter has a dad to walk her down the aisle. Yeah. Ah, my little one, this is how it's done. never gonna stop being a wrestler because that's who he is but it's just a matter of time until he gets hurt badly and that's something that i'm not ready for oh, my little one it'll be just fine your bruises will fade and your bones didn't break i just don't know how to do anything else Exactly where I'm supposed to be. It'll be just fine. Your bruise will fade. This is home. I think you should get braids back. They look so mint. <laughs> I really look forward to checking out this documentary if i ever have time to do it i always i always say i want to check these out and then i i'll get around to them in two years just like all the video games i buy them so i'll say i'll get to that yeah it's been sitting on my shelf uh unopened uh but that's i saw that this week and i thought that was pretty cool so two uh wrestling documentaries the david arquette one and the vampiro one coming out almost uh back to back so uh some good wrestling documentaries are, are about to drop yeah 
I think that it's going to be uh, very interesting to watch. The David Arquette one, I think, looks really, really good. Uh, I think we're going to see a whole nother side of Vampiro in this documentary that the fans really haven't ever seen. Last week we mentioned it, but the uh, Sonya Deville stalker, he was in court this past week, and he got denied bond. So he's going to be sitting in jail for a while so uh until trial probably and uh that's the update there and uh that's pretty much all i got that i really found interesting this week from the world of wrestling the premiere of thunderdome was last night and i didn't watch it but i did see pictures of what it looks like and it looks like shit to me it looks really distracting because they put all the fans in these led boards around the ring which Okay, that's fine. But they all have different backgrounds behind them because it's everybody on their own webcam. And so you could have me sitting in front of my wood 70s wood paneling, or you can have a guy sitting in front of a green screen, or a guy or a gal in front of a tree. And so when you put all these squares together around the ring, it's just so distracting. And uh, the NBA had done a different thing where they gave everybody the same background. So it wasn't so jarring. It doesn't look like a checkerboard full of colors. And um, so I'm, I'm not really a big fan though. I didn't watch it, but I am curious about the drone shots. I, I hope I want to see if they utilize the drone like they were talking about, because I think that's pretty cool, but uh, didn't see the premiere of Thunderdome and you didn't either from uh from what we talked about at the start of the show, you and I have not been watching a lot of current wrestling. Yeah, I'm sticking strictly with my AEW. I'm not watching any uh, WWE product just because it's WWE. Well, we'll get right into it this week, and so we can get this show on the road and get to our weekend off from our real jobs. So uh, this is not this is the first weekend I've had off in a very, very long time. So... I'm looking forward to getting through this review. And I, I started my weekend by watching this. I actually woke up early this morning because I'm an early riser, even though I don't want to be. I want to be Sonya Deville and stay up till three in the morning. But I I went to bed at, a for me, a late hour. It was like 11 o'clock. And uh, I got up at like eight this morning so or seven. So I would stay up you know, till three in the morning with Mandy Rose as well. So I'm just saying. What a sacrifice you're willing to make. Exactly. You know, uh, that's a sacrifice that I am willing to take one for the team. You know, this is the April 26th edition of Monday Nitro from 1999. So I woke up this morning and checked out a show that was over 21 years old and it starts on a downer. Why did I pick a show that starts on a downer in all of the downness of the world? I don't know. But it starts with a somber bell ringing salute to Rick Rude, who had passed away prior to this taping of Nitro. So WCW really sucks at, at memorializing wrestlers. Sorry, it's not even a tin bell salute. It's, it's a picture and it's a few bell tolls and it's on with the show. They don't even mention it in the show. At this point, he had been fired from WCW, so I guess there wasn't a big concern. But, I mean, they have highlights from him from the early 90s when he worked there. They, they had highlights from him walking out Mr. Perfect. I mean, 
I just don't understand why they can't memorialize a guy like Rick Rude, especially. So I don't know what it was. I guess this was a Bischoff thing where like, don't don't bother with that or something. But people like that. People like those WWE tribute videos are perfect when they're when they're done correctly. And because he burned the bridge with the WWF back in the day, uh, he didn't get one on there either. I don't think he even got uh, a in memorial thing at the start of Raw that week. So, uh, yeah, I just thought this was pretty shitty to uh, a guy that I always enjoyed watching wrestle was Rick Rude. So, I mean, I was a huge Rick Rude fan and enjoyed a lot of his. It's going to make you laugh. But looking back at his stuff through his WWF run, I look back, I remember his, you know, late 80s, early 90s WCW stuff. And I enjoyed that so much more. I think he was a better wrestler in WCW. It it was unfortunate that he got injured so early on, but I think he was actually a better wrestler in WCW when he wasn't so handcuffed to, you know, wrestling the WWF style. But he had some great matches in WCW with a lot of talent that wasn't really on his I mean but he he made warrior look good in WWF so this guy could work miracles with people so I mean he made Sting look good who was still not a very great wrestler at the time and had some other great matches was great in that uh, war games match that we watched from Wrestle War 92 so um yeah and it you know some of his his character had diminished you know they weren't you know, he would still cut the promo at the start of the, the thing, but, you know, WWE's character of him is just is what's always going to be remembered because but his wrestling was just so much better in WCW. So last week on Nitro, I'm glad that we skipped this episode, whatever it was last week, Roddy Piper, RPVP. We have some dysfunction at the head of the top of the the organization here is um, at the start of 99 uh, Bischoff lost a match to Flair for control of the company. So Flair is the kayfabe president of WCW and he hired Roddy Piper to be his vice president. But uh, Roddy thought that, you know, Flair, you're losing it. You're losing it because you're, you're starting to, to make some bad decisions. So he had, Ric Flair institutionalized, as you would do to your friend. You would just um, put him, lock him up. To, I want you to know, if ever, if ever it needs to be done, I will have you institutionalized out of love, Alex. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, if I start booking a wrestling show incorrectly and not up to your standards, you will have me put in the loony bin as... Uh, it's called here. Out, uh, out of love and support, man. Out of right, it's it's for my own good that I yeah. go away for a while. Um, Flair then, after being told that, hey man, you're you need some help, he fires Piper, but then challenges from for Slamboree. So I guess he didn't fire him. And uh, if Piper beats him, he gets control of the company. So man, this this company is changing ownership a lot in 1999. So coming up at Slamboree, if Piper can beat Flair, he gets control of the company. So RPVP is no longer the VP and the president. 
is in the asylum. So we'll get to see who runs the show tonight. Later in the night, Flair then got powerbombed by Nash. This all happened last week still. And then that's when Piper had him taken to the mental hospital. Although I thought that's kind of mean. This guy got powerbombed. You'd think he might be injured. Maybe take him to a regular hospital. But they, they snuck him in the white van instead of the ambulance and took him away. Uh, also last week, DDP escaped Goldberg by shoving Mickey J in the way of a spear. So since DDP won his belt at Spring Stampede, which he won it, I believe he won it as a babyface. If I mean, we reviewed that show. I, it seemed like he won it as a babyface. And uh, turned heel immediately, of course, because that's what you do. He won it with the help of Macho Man, but I didn't really see that as a heelish move, as I recall. It was just sort of... I mean, they had a history together, and I thought it was Macho Man, out of respect, giving him the belt, basically. I didn't see it as a heel move, but that's what it was. DDP, a heel, which, boy, DDP as a heel sucks. And uh, never got any better at being a heel. Uh, Even with the Jersey Triad, he was a halfway decent heel. But when he went to the WWE, uh, it really came out how bad of a heel he is. And... Tonight, I thought he was just an awful heel. He just, it's just not him. It's just not, you can't turn some guys. Some guys, you just can't turn. He works so much better as a baby face. It doesn't fit him, I guess. When you look at him, it doesn't fit him. So Paige, after Mickey J got speared, this is still from last week's Nitro, this recap, by the way, they would play this recap again. It was already super long, but they would play it again in the night. Paige then hits him with Nux. So that's his new gimmick. That's that's the kind of generic heel that DDP is. He hits people with Nux. He doesn't really have a defined characteristic. That's what they give people when they don't know how to make them bad. Here's some Nux. So he smashes Goldberg with the Nux and then smashes Goldberg's leg with a chair. Even though Goldberg isn't even his opponent at Slamboree, Nash is goal, is DDP's opponent. So this makes zero sense. And then Nash, in all of this, is now a babyface and comes to save Goldberg, who he fought at Spring Stampede, and also who he ended his undefeated streak. Yes, whose undefeated streak he ended. But yet, he still comes to his aid. That makes zero sense whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, he almost had Goldberg arrested for rape or, well, I mean, the NWO did, but now they're best buds. Now everything's fine. We start with scenes of flair at the mental hospital. We'll be going to the mental hospital quite a bit tonight. Remember this episode so very fondly because I remember all the clips from the mental hospital. Yeah, I see these uh, these on on Twitter sometimes as uh, gifs, as uh, like when Flair had uh, was in the hospital a couple of years ago and people were rooting for him. I saw I used one of these clips of him dancing out of the hospital or whatever. So yeah, he was he was in full Flair mode here. He did a good job yeah. here uh, dancing around. Uh, if you didn't know Ric Flair as a wrestler. And just if he had the same personality as a normal human being, you would think that he might belong 
with these people because he does seem like a crazy man. So it makes sense that he would flourish in the mental hospital, that he became uh, everyone's favorite guy in the mental hospital. Um, so Flair comes out dancing and strutting in his robe and his under underwear, which on the plane ride from hell in 2003 it was or whatever i think that's when it happened uh he would strut uh naked with the robe and uh got in trouble uh so that was his big move all throughout his career was strutting up and down hotel rooms naked with the robe but so he did it here at least he was wearing boxers uh he's strutting around and dancing and the nurse is not very pleased she says you guys aren't going to be able to watch nitro but then Flair just wins her over with that charm. And, uh, well, the, the patients would have rather probably watched Raw anyway. So uh, this was actually punishment that they had to watch Nitro. But Flair, he, he puts on his moves and he dances with the nurse. And uh, so they're going to get to watch Nitro, obviously, because he knows everything that's going on tonight. So uh, they definitely got to watch Nitro. We get the 1999 Nitro intro with the Nitro girls and that screeching sound. I just, it sucks. Then, then we go it's to look. Bad. Yeah, and it only got worse from there. This was, uh, this was the WCW star logo and set days of uh, Monday Nitro, which that set had been introduced just a few weeks earlier. I think it got introduced after Spring Breakout. So this is the new set. The new star logo and this terrible new entrance uh, entrance theme for the show. And then it just got worse from there. So I shouldn't say too much about it because it's it, it's a great it's a great intro compared to where they would go from there. We go to Charles Robinson, who's with J.J. Dillon, who's going over Charles Robinson's contract because he was third in command Uh and uh, since Piper is fired, it says, hey, man, you're the vice president now. And J.J.'s like, yep, you sure are. You, get, you got together with the lawyers and What, do you, and what are you worried about? I want to make sure that these, these papers, they're, they're legal before I do anything. I don't know how many times i got to tell you. I, I've looked through them. It clearly states that you're the vice president. Right. It clearly states that if the president is any way incapacitated, the vice president takes over next in charge. And looking at the date of it, there's no challenge that uh, the person that signed it was incompetent at that time. Uh, lawyers have looked through this. There's no issues. You're vice president. I'm the vice president. Yeah. I'm in charge. Yeah. Now, I'm above the commissioner, right? How many times do I got to tell you? You're the vice president. You're the next in charge. You're above the commissioner. So what I say goes. What you say goes. Right? Yeah. I give the orders. You give the orders. Yeah? Yeah. All right. You're sure? Yeah. You're positive? Positive. Oh, this is going to be awesome. Yeah. Brick's going to be proud of me. You got anything to say? Woo, baby. And Lil Nate gives a woo, and he's excited because he's in Charles. Uh, he's, he's in charge. Charles is in charge. Charles in charge. A reference from an 80s sitcom in 1999. Nitro Girls Dance... Uh, as this would be their only appearance on the network version. I, I'm not sure if this was the era when they had the DJ in the audience, because all those got cut from the network, and sometimes the Nitro Girls would dance to the DJ. So 
this is the one appearance of the Nitro Girls tonight. As we finally enter the arena, I swear this took 10 minutes to get to the arena, finally. We're in Fargo, North Dakota. Mike Tanay is with Tony, and, and Bobby is out sick tonight, so just a two-man booth. Piper comes out. Piper says he's in charge, and the people of Fargo deserve a big night. He reinstates Macho Man, which uh, I'm surprised he was able to do this, and Charles Robinson let it go because he's technically fired. Then he says, hey, Macho Man, you're going to take on Scott Steiner for the U.S. belt tonight. And then DDP interrupts Piper. Piper says, okay, buddy. Well, you know, you said you'd fight anybody when you won that belt. Well, you're going to have a title shot. You're going to give it to Sting tonight. How's that for you, pal? DDP just says, whatever. There is nothing. Whatever. Whatever. There is nothing that DDP would rather do in the world than put up the belt against Sting and Fargo tonight. But I don't think so. So DDP backs out. Piper says, well, I'm the boss and you're going to do it. And uh, another great heel move here by DDP. He just accepts that. He doesn't say anything back and okay, I guess he's going to do it. And Piper says, you got 45 minutes to get ready, so 9 o'clock. So in other words, hey, we need to go head-to-head when Raw starts, okay? So this match will start when Raw starts, so don't change the channel. Please, for God, don't, for God's sakes, don't change the channel. It's 9 o'clock, the match. We promise it'll be 9 o'clock. Fargo, North Dakota! And Ric Flair runs scared. Obviously, Ric Flair is not here. He's back weaving baskets with Patch Adams. Did you notice how well he fit in back there? And he's still doing the jitterbug from 1950. Now that Ric Flair is incapacitated, we'll say, that makes me the sole man in charge of the WCW. And we are gonna have a big night tonight. Because you deserve it. First thing, I'm gonna do this quick. Macho Man Randy Savage and his valet Gorgeous George, they've been having a tough time I say, as of now, he is reinstated in the WCW. You got Big Papa Pump, the United Heavyweight Champion, says he can take on any man, says he's nuts. This is what I say. I say, tonight, it's Randy Savage against Big Papa Pump for the title. Here tonight. Bring it up. Now we got DDP, the People's Champion. A guy that has worked hard in wrestling, the hardest working wrestler they say ever. If he's the people's champion, what do you people want to see? 
We're talking about a man that came from nothing. Talking about a man that worked his whole life to get to where he wanted to be. Ladies and gentlemen, the heavyweight champion of the world. Here's a man that came from a piece of coal and made it into a diamond. Here's a man that says he will defend his title against any man that wants to. Tonight, why don't you give a title shot to Sting? Oh. Right here, look at them. They're your people. You are the people's champion. There they are. It's for you, baby. What do you say? Thanks for all the accolades, Hot Rod. How do you really feel? Whatever. But I'll tell you, no matter what out here, there is nothing that DDP, the heavyweight champion of the world, There is nothing that I would rather do than to put up this belt against Sting and Fargo tonight! But, just because I love you too, man, I don't think so. No, Goldilocks! Goldilocks! One second, I'm the boss, I am your reality check, and I'm telling you, tonight, you are defending the World Heavyweight Championship against Sting right here at Kayawak. to prepare before 9 o'clock tonight. You're fighting. Let the games begin. As this is when <laughs> WCW is getting its ass kicked in the ratings. Even though Raw, I looked at their card for tonight, and it was not very good. So this was a good card compared to what Raw had to offer, but they probably still lost by two points in the ratings. Brian Adams is going to take on Conan, or K-Dog as he's known now. Conan rocking his No Limit Soldier gear, mismatched camo, and 99 football jersey. So, just terrible look. Everyone on the show is dressed pretty terribly. He at least removes his football jersey for the matches. Conan was still in good shape here. Uh, Brian Adams attacks him. Adams' mullet is on another level. I think this is even better than his crush mullet from the day. As well as his sideburns. He's got his Lash LaRue sideburns going on here, basically. 
Conan hits a bulldog and a seated drop kick to Brian Adams. They brawl on the outside for a bit. The commentators' mics, whatever they did on this network version, the audio mix is so fucked up. Like, the commentators' mics are really low, and the crowd is super loud. I don't know if this was a network dub or if this maybe WCW wanted to try to get over that, oh, see how excited people are, but Tony and Mike Tanay's volume is off here for some reason all night. Brian Adams turns a press slam into a gut buster for a near fall. He puts Conan in a very weak chin lock, works over Conan's back by leaping and diving his knees into it, but it backfires when Conan rolls over and low blows him. Adams goes for something and Conan rolls him up for a pin instead and the ref has to stop the count as Brian forgets to kick out. So he fucked up this uh, near fall here. A power slam to Conan for a two count. X factor from Conan into the tequila sunrise. But it was all for nothing as the NWOB team of Vincent Horace, Stevie Ray and Scott Norton come in and beat him down. And Ray Mysterio Jr., I guess, was in the back just saying, eh, I'm not going to bother with that. Fuck him. Uh, so they beat him down, and Brian Adams gives Conan a pile driver. So stay tuned, folks, for this hot feud between Conan and the NWO. Conan was uh, on the outs from the NWO since uh, he got kicked out of the Wolf Pack, and uh, I guess the uh, NWO Hollywood hated him too. So everyone hates Conan. Uh, this match sucked. Terrible opening match. I, I, I don't know. Uh, it was a bad start for the night. They should have just started with the championship match and then maybe done the four-way at 9 o'clock if that was the whole goal. But this match sucked. What did you think of this match? Uh, it was a rough start. Yeah, it was not a good match at all. Call the WCW hotline, 1-900-909-9900. Yeah, so Tanae's got some scoops from around the wrestling world, as Mean Gene, I guess, wasn't doing the hotline tonight. It was Tanae. A Sting hype video plays as they go to break. It's just his theme song and pictures of him two years ago. It's the same. It's the Starcade, him standing in the rain. It's, uh, they used until he until WCW went out of business. Uh, Tanae and Tony hype the championship match for 30 minutes from now. Please don't change the channel. Please stay. We promise this will get better. But it's not going to get better next because Raven and Saturn are supposed to take on the Armstrongs. But the Horsemen attack Saturn and Billy Kidman as they're trying to get an edge for a tag team turmoil match at Slamboree. So Scott and Steve Armstrong are working Nitro tonight. They would not be... The most surprising Nitro worker of the night. That's still yet to come. Raven comes out alone. Raven says, I guess I got to do this alone. What about me? What about Raven? As far as the horseman, Raven says, it ain't over till the fat lady sings, and he ain't ever seen an opera with a happy ending, quote the Raven, nevermore. As Raven was one foot out the door here, ready to go back to ECW, so. Lots of miscommunication from the Armstrongs as Raven gets the upper hand. And the Armstrongs, the, the, the men with the advantage, have to go regroup. Uh, Raven gets a chair. Remember, it's Raven's rules. So he sets it up in the ring. Drop toe holds Scott into it. Steve saves him from pinfall. But then he gets a drop toe hold into the chair as well. Steve comes off the top rope and decks Scott, who is holding Raven as... These Armstrongs keep hurting each other, keep miscommunication. You'd think these brothers would be better, 
but they're not. Raven hits him with knee lifts and corner punches to Scott and Steve. Scott was waiting with a super kick for Raven. Then he super kicks Steve by accident. Raven then even flow DDT's Scott rolls over, but Steve then decks Raven with a chair, rolls Scott on top of Raven, and Mike Tanay says that the Armstrongs pull off the upset. Even though they had the two-on-one two advantage, this was an upset because they're the Armstrongs. Yeah, yeah that's pretty sad. <laughs> this match sucked, too. And um, what the fuck? What the, what the fuck was this? Like, I just... If, okay, if Saturn's beaten down... I don't know. Just don't have the match. Do something else. Do have have the horsemen in the like have Malenko take on Raven or something like that. How about that? Just keep the Armstrongs out. Like have say the Armstrongs were scheduled, but the horsemen, you know, beat down uh, Saturn. So now we have to have this match instead and just save the Armstrongs for Thunder or Saturday night. But no, this is what happened. What do you think of this match, Patrick? It was a little rough. It was a little rough. Yeah, so so far I, I picked a really great Nitro to watch. Charles Robinson gets a call from Flair in the hospital. He'll get many of these calls throughout the night. He's mad that Piper made great matches, that son of a bitch. He wants Piper in jail, which I don't know what law Piper was breaking, but he wants him in jail. Charles! Charles! Hey, Rick. Can you hear me? Hey, I can hear you, Rick. How you doing? What are you doing? What are you letting happen there? I'm in control. I'm the president of this company. Piper doesn't have the right to walk out there and make a match. I want... Give him a double dose. I want Piper arrested and put in jail today. Hey, you moron. Sit down and leave her alone. Don't you t- nothing wrong with me. Don't touch me again. Rick. Sit down, you moron. Charles. Rick. Call a national guard. Okay. Call the state patrol. Yeah. Do what you have to do. I want Piper in. Don't touch me again. You. Nothing wrong with me. Rick. Put Piper in jail. Get it done. I'll get it done. Hey. Hey. Hey, Triple H. Just a minute. Charles. I'll yes. play back. Piper goes to jail. Hey, you moron. I told you to leave her alone. Get over there and leave her alone. Then I thought something was wrong with this network version of Nitro as the opening recap played again in full. So uh, this was a experiment they were trying with Nitro for a while where the first hour was mainly recaps. And so it was really weird. I don't exactly know what they were trying to accomplish with this, but... They replayed the entire opening segment from last week. So basically, if you watch last week's Nitro, you got to watch it three times if you watch this week's Nitro as well. Then we go to the ring, and Mean Gene is with Charles Robinson. Mean Gene asks Robinson if he's running the company. Charles says the fans will still get the match between Sting and DDP, so I guess he thought that was a good idea. Piper comes back out. Piper calls Robinson a leprechaun. And then he's and then Charles Robinson slaps Roddy Piper very gently. Piper then lifts him up by the throat and Fargo's finest, led by Doug Dillinger, take him away. So they should have taken him to Flair's uh, asylum, but he was in Florida. So I guess they couldn't explain that. Robinson then says, you're fired. And then Robinson screams, Charles in charge, Charles in charge. It's time for our title match. The reason I basically picked 
this Nitro, which this is a match that I believe made the best of Nitro DVD because you and I definitely either watched this on that or on 24-7. This was like one of the title matches. This is like... This is one of their best of all time matches. That's what they in Nitro. Think, yes. This is what WWE thinks is one of their best matches ever. Yes. This is definitely one of their best title matches because when Russo would show up in October of 99, uh, they had title matches basically every week and they were all bullshit. So this was, I guess, the last good title match in Nitro history before, I guess, final Nitro. Sting is out first, and he's got massive tape around his ankles. I don't know if he had issues with his ankles or if this was just a preventative measure. Why, why did he start doing that? Because it was around 99 when he started doing that. And I could, I've never understood why. I don't know. I mean, could he? was he afraid his, his uh, boots were going to come untied? Or, like, also, okay, I wouldn't, I wouldn't notice it as much. If if it was black tape, don't use white tape if you've got black tights on. He had just returned in March after being off since October of 1998, so I assume he did have some sort of injury, but I couldn't find any information about if it was an ankle injury or or what. So he was off for quite a while. And then when he came back, it was so weird because when he left, he was in the Wolf Pack. Obviously, the Wolf Pack is bad guys now. Sting's not going to be a bad guy. So, I mean, he was a little heelish in the Wolf Pack in his match against Brett or whatever. But uh, the it was just weird when he came back. He just was back to being black and white Sting and didn't explain anything. I'm back in black. Which he never lost the black, by the way. It was just no. the red. He should have said back in white, especially his ankle tape is very white. Um. So Sting is out first, uh, followed by DDP. Sting drives his elbow into Page. Page rolls out to regroup. Page comes in, jaws with Sting. They exchange some right hands. Sting knocks Page out of the ring to regroup again. Page pulls Sting down by the hair and rolls out of the ring. This time, Sting goes after him because you're not touching my hair, brother, and then brawls with him around the ring. Sting hits a couple of lariats and a stinger splash. He goes for the Scorpion Deathlock, but Paige gets to the ropes and escapes again. Paige goes and gets Tanae's water and takes a drink and then jaws with fans uh, in his DDP way, which is just like, yeah, yeah, what about it? He doesn't. It's not Scott Steiner where he's on the verge of punching these people. He's just like, yeah, yeah, whatever, pal. Uh, Paige works a hammer lock and a chin lock, but Sting wakes up, but eats a nasty lariat from DDP. DDP tries a diamond cutter, but Sting shoves DDP out of the ring again. They brawl up the aisleway. DDP gets dropped against the guardrail. Mickey J is allowing the match to continue. No countouts, apparently. Who cares about that? Who cares about the rules? Sting calls DDP white trash as he scoop slams him on the concrete. Corner punches to DDP, who low blows Sting to escape. Sting ducks a lariat and goes and does his flare flop headbutt to the groin of Page, which I always thought was... If you're a face wrestler, it's sort of it's you shouldn't do that. But whatever. Page recovers and works a chin lock for a minute on Sting and stomps him down. Page hits a swinging neck breaker for a near fall. Page elbows Sting in the dick, does it again. Page crotches Sting on the post, then slams his leg into it. Sting then kicks him away. 
DDP tries the diamond cutter again, but this time Sting held the rope, which, I mean, always stand near the ropes when you're fighting DDP. This is the way to dodge this thing. Inverted atomic drops to DDP, then Sting hits a bulldog, a giant splash off the turnbuckle for a two count, which, before this, this move, DDP screamed, turnbuckle, as he was calling these spots and just screaming them at Sting, so I guess... DDP didn't get to go over this match with Sting beforehand. I guess Sting was like, nah, man, we're just calling this in the ring, buddy. Uh, DDP, yeah, would be... I mean, you can hear him calling spots all through this match. DDP sort of hits a a diamond cutter to Sting across the rope uh, as Sting was trying to get in from the apron, but it doesn't bother to cover him, which I thought was weird. Like, you hit your finisher and didn't bother to cover him. Sting then rams DDP's head into the buckles. A sit-out powerbomb from DDP gets a two-count, and finally this match really picks up here. Like, the first half I wasn't too thrilled with, but it really picks up here. Sting dodges a lariat, rolls up DDP for a two-count. Sting eats a second one for a two-count. Both men try a bunch of quick covers. Sting does a terrible-looking pile driver where he lands on his knees where it's like a tombstone with the guy facing out and it's scary to watch this whatever the hell it was supposed to be it was like a reverse tombstone and it looked badass (laughs) yeah this should have been the finish of the match like this should have just been it it looks like oh shit he just killed him yeah just flop over sting would have had a new finisher right there Yeah, Uh, so it only gets a two count, though, of course, because why finish the match at the the craziest move? Sting goes for a normal tombstone. Page reverses it into one of his own, but then Sting reverses it again and hits it a a regular tombstone and gets a near fall. Page then hits a float over DDT for another near fall. Page low blows Sting. DDP tries a diamond cutter uh, with Sting in the corner. But Sting holds onto the ropes, reverses it into a scorpion death drop. One, two, three, and the place just goes fucking nuts because it's rare that you see a scorpion death drop out of nowhere. And that's what DDP managed to get accomplished here. Uh, because a diamond cutter and an RKO and the, the cutters can come out of nowhere. DDTs can come out of nowhere. But usually a scorpion death drop, he has to grab you, bring you back, whole setup. But, like, this was so fast and so instantaneous that it really popped the crowd. Like, the crowd went nuts. And they were really 100% behind Sting here. They were, there was no doubt. It wasn't, even, it wasn't even that they were sour on DDP. It's just they love Sting. So, hey, Paige has a two-week title run. It comes to an end. Congratulations, buddy. As Sting uh, holds up the belt. And this is easily match of the night. So... Um, what did you think of this match? Oh, uh, this is match of the night for sure. This match is definitely one of the best of all time. Like I said, WCW wise, uh, it's just, it was great. It was an outstanding match and one that I highly recommend going and watching back just for itself. Yeah, I kind of thought that the first, I'd say, half or maybe third of this match was kind of slow, not not much going on. Towards the middle and end of the match, I thought it was outstanding and uh, really great. If you can 
uh, ignore Paige screaming spots at Sting. And if you can ignore the fact that I think Sting fucked up that one tombstone, but or, or pile driver or whatever, but it was still really cool. Because I think it was badass, and I think it was awesome. And it turned out really well. It did turn out well. It, it, DDP, uh, you know, doesn't have a broken neck, so it turned out well. Uh, but I never want to see someone else try that move again. <laughs> that was just ridiculous. Like, um, can I try it on you? Uh, no, no, that, that that'll be a negatory. Um, you, you sure? I'm will, I'm willing to take the chance. You know. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe if we're diving into a foam pit or something. Flair tells Robinson to make the main event of Slamboree Sting versus Goldberg. So we have an entirely new main event for Slamboree. And honestly, I think they should have just stuck with that as the main event. That sounds great. Um, let's, let's do it. Charles! Charles! Can you hear me? That was glorious! Woo! That was glorious! The next move! Here's the next move! The next move is Slamboree! Sting versus Goldberg! The greatest match in the history of our sport! Make that match! How about that, Triple A? Woo! Ray Mysterio Jr. is out with his tag belt and his No Limit Soldier gear. He looks like a little Conan. He's maskless at this point. Uh, at least his camo is the same color. He's not mismatching his camo like Conan. He's taking on cruiserweight champ Psychosis, who didn't, I didn't realize this, but didn't win the cruiserweight belt until a week ago. It took him until 1999 to win the cruiserweight belt. So that's crazy. Uh, Ray hits a flying hurricane run off the buckle. Psychosis drops Ray on the top rope from a head scissors attempt. Psychosis launches Ray into the buckle and then lays Ray over the top rope and drop kicks him to the apron. Ray Hurricane Rana Psychosis off the apron. Benoit and Malenko come out. They pose with Ray's tag team title belt. This distracts Ray and he goes and attacks them. When then he walks right into a baseball slide from Psychosis. When Psychosis gets him into the ring, he uh, hits a sit-out powerbomb to Ray. Then Ray reverses a powerbomb into a DDT, and one, two, three, out of nowhere, Ray overcomes not only the distraction by the horsemen, but he beats Psychosis with just a, a DDT, which isn't his finisher or anything, and I just thought this was really bizarre. Like, why did they even change the title last week? This was really weird. So... We have back-to-back title changes on Nitro. Is This is probably the second best match of the night, but that's not saying much. They didn't have a lot of competition from here on out. Um, what did you think of this match? It, it was decent. I wasn't a big fan of it personally, but for athleticism-wise, it was decent. Yeah, they never really got into second gear, and they didn't have a lot of time because, oh boy, we had to de- dedicate two segments to a hardcore four-way match coming up. Um he doesn't get to celebrate his big cruiserweight title win 
as the horsemen come in and beat the shit out of him, and Benoit leaves with Ray's tag team title belt. Stay tuned, everybody. Hack, Horace, Mikey Whipwreck, and Brian Knobs are in a four-way hardcore match, so stay tuned. Up next, Nash comes out and whines and bitches about losing his opportunity at Slambury. And I wanted to be like, Nash, go complain to fucking DDP. He's the one that just fucking lost. Like, that's your problem. Like, it's not a problem with anyone else. Your boy fucked up. Like, sorry, you're just shit out of luck. Like, that's how life works sometimes. But Nash, of course, you know, he can politic his way into anything. So he wants Goldberg, Page, and Sting four-way match tonight for the belt. You know... I just got informed in the back from one of Charles Robinson's stooges that it's Slamboree. The main event now is Sting versus Goldberg for the world belt. Somehow, out of all this, somebody uh, must have forgotten that Big Sexy had a title shot at Slamboree. Well, let me rest assured, the Big Sexy has not forgotten. So since tonight, Bill Goldberg's in the back. We've already seen Sting and Paige. Big Sexy's definitely in the house. So, Sting, I throw this challenge out to you because without you, this doesn't happen tonight. Tonight, in this ring, since the four of us can't seem to work this out, I challenge Goldberg. I challenge Paige. And I challenge you, new champion Sting, tonight. Four of us have a four-way dance. Whoever gets a pinfall walks out of Fargo, the world champion. Yeah. Don't worry, I got my gear in the car. Wait for an answer, boys. And if I was staying in the back, I I would have already been in my car driving home. So I don't. No, why Sting's... Well, he's old school. I guess he's got to stay to the end of the night. But this is just... If I was Sting, I'd be like, no fucking way. No fucking way am I doing that. Uh, Ric Flair tells Charles Robinson on the phone that you should make the match. Yeah, it sounds great. Which, okay, whatever, Rick, that's fine. And then the biggest star of the night. Forget seeing the Armstrongs on Nitro... Eric Watts, an Eric Watts sighting here on Nitro. Bill Watts' son. Um, He looks like the Hardy Boys' uncle, if I could describe his outfit here tonight. And uh, a guy that wrestled the Gambler. Uh, He's on YouTube wrestling the Gambler from an episode of Worldwide. And fucking up 
Even in that match, he fucked something up, just like he fucked something up in this match. His one move, his one fucking move, like, Bam Bam said, okay, this is a squash match, Eric, my friend, but I'm going to let you do one move. So you would think that Eric Watts would He's search... He's going to make this one move the greatest move <laughs> of all time, right? Oh, and he uh, had the ambition. He had... Uh, he had ambition to be too fucking big to be trying this shit. Well, and on that Bam Bam Bigelow, the both of them, just like there's a reason Eric Watts never worked out as a star in pro wrestling. So he takes on Bam Bam Bigelow, who has no music, which is weird. Eric Watts had music. You wouldn't know who it was because it was WCW generic track five. Yeah, it's yeah. We found this CD in the garbage, and we'll play it for you when you walk out. Bam Bam just has nothing, and he is going into this huge match at Slamboree for the hardcore, the king to be the king of hardcore. They still hadn't printed the belt yet, so uh, Bam Bam comes out. Watts tries, and I'm being very very generous when I say that he tries. And I'm also being very generous when I call it a Hurricane Rana. But, boy, this just was awful. This was the worst Hurricane Rana I have ever seen. So he he runs up. He does this trying to do this springboard bouquet. And Eric Watts hits this, supposedly hits it, and it looks like shit. Now... In his mind, he's thinking, well, I got to come back and do a better move. So he picks Bam Bam up and tries to do a Hurricane Rana. Six foot whatever, Eric Watts tries to do a Hurricane Rana on Bam Bam Bigelow. And this looked even more like shit. One time, Bam Bam says, He was, and also he is fucking massive. Bam Bam was, this is like... This isn't the biggest he ever got in his career because last Nitro, it was the fattest he ever was. But, uh, dude, he was massive. Like, what the fuck was he thinking? Like, Bam Bam finally says, the hell with this. Gets up, hits greetings from Asbury Park. One, two, three, get the hell out of my ring. And he just storms to the back. Well, he, had a, he had a flying headbutt before the uh, oh, Greeks okay. from Asbury Park, so he yeah. did two moves. His two moves looked fine because <laughs> he's a way better wrestler than Eric Watts ever was. But uh, he is walking to the back, literally cussing under his breath at Eric Watts, checking his nose to see if it's still on his face. Like, what the fuck were you thinking, you piece of shit? Like, he is mad. Uh, well, and uh, I think Eric Watts, they, they, Tanae was talking about, this is the Nitro debut of Eric Watts, and I dare say it's probably the last time Eric Watts was ever on Nitro. So, <laughs> yeah, if you get a shot on Nitro, even as a jobber, you want to be the best jobber you can be in a squash match, you know? You want to go out Stay- there. Stay tuned, everybody, because you're going to get to see this one in lo- once in a lifetime opportunity get squandered. Yeah, yeah. So he <laughs> fucked this up really bad. So up next, Mean Gene brings out Sting, who had time to put on a new coat of paint 
he put on his because he had all his face paint that was wiped off from from the DDP match. So he put on a new coat of paint. He says he's back in black and says he'll accept this four-way match tonight. And I was just like, what a fool. Sting, you never fucking learn. God, you always you always trust Ric Flair. And here you are tonight. You just won this championship. You just came back in March. The fans loved it. You've got a great match coming up against Goldberg at Slambury. You're at the top of the world. Of course you'll put your belt on the line in a match that you might not even be involved in the finish. Of course you would. I said it a few weeks ago, and I'll say it again tonight. I am back! I am back in black. Being back and being back in black, Kevin Nash, you want me tonight for the world title? Just so there's no more whining going on in the dressing room in the back, I'm going to say yes. I want you too. So Goldberg, DDP, Nash, the Stinger, did you think I would say no? Not a chance. I'll see you later on tonight. Because you're the dumbest baby face, which in some ways is admirable, but you are the dumbest baby face that there ever was. So... Um, geez, Sting, what a what a fucking fool! So he leaves. Uh, Ming comes out to take on Booker T, which this is Ming putting on his Samoan weight gain as uh, he had switched to his dreads and his uh, you know, uh, not really a skirt. I don't know what these pants are called, but uh, this was Ming's final WCW look here before he would leave to go to the WWF and team with Rikishi, a guy that uh, he had teamed with before, I think, in the past. Uh, Booker T comes out, and here we are. Uh, we just reviewed a pay-per-view from 98 where Booker T won the TV title, and here he is in 1999 still dragging around this TV fucking title. Jeez, I mean, when are you going to move on this guy? I mean, this time is ticking. <laughs> he is not getting any younger. And at this point, he's not even doing like the Harlem hangover, I don't think, anymore and stuff. So you're already he's already sort of on the decline from his peak and you missed it. And here he is dragging this fucking TV title around. And he's lost the yellow and red flames, which I hate this outfit. Everyone in WCW had to wear gray, silver, and black. And, of course, Booker T just fell right in and put on silver and black tights. So I just I hate these tights. This is when I started to not like Booker T so much. He lands a nice drop kick to Ming for a two-count. Ming chops Booker in the corner to slow him down. He scoop slams Booker. Oh, Booker scoop slams Ming twice with ease, which I thought was really impressive because, I mean, Booker T was still jacked, man. He was his traps are massive. So lifting Ming was not a big issue for him. Ming then power slams Booker for a two count. The headset on one of the announcers picks up someone saying, oh, shit, that's scary. But I'm not sure what they were talking about because nothing was going on in the ring. There was an axe kick to Ming. A Harlem sidekick takes out Ming and Billy Silverman. A spin another Harlem sidekick to Ming. Then Stevie Ray slowly walks down to the ring. 
Booker misses another sidekick, lands on the ropes, crotches himself, tongue and death grip to Booker. We're going to have a new TV champ here, folks. But Stevie comes in the ring and slapjacks Ming with the slapjack, not his finisher move, uh, the slapjack. He hits him with the, the prop, the slapjack. He hits Ming with it. And then Booker kind of heelishly just rolls over and wins the match, claiming to not know what happened. Well, if a guy has you in a Tongan death grip and just passes out um, and you're a face, you should probably call for help because that means this guy probably just had a heart attack or something. You shouldn't just cover him and win the match. But that's what Booker T did. Just cover him. Go for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, if you're smart, but you're it's a heelish. It's a heelish move. And Rick Steiner recognized that he comes out. And he hammers at Stevie Ray, but Booker pulls him off. He's defending his brother, even though his brother's in the NWO. So this is really confusing. I guess blood is thicker than T-shirts here. And um, so Rick Steiner and Booker T have words. And call your pay-per-view provider now, folks, because we're going to get Booker and Rick Steiner at the pay-per-view. Tanae pimps the hotline again as we get a Kevin Nash hype video. I call these hype videos. It's just it's just their theme song with a few highlights. Like I said, WCW never bothered voicing over any of these things, so it really irritates me. They're just boring. They're just boring. They show the highlight of Hogan getting injured at Spring Stampede. Is even though Hogan's not on this show, he needs he needs a segment just to give us an injury update. This is it, man. Let's get it done. Still seems like the wrong move. No, it's not. I mean, no matter what, no matter how you feel, you can't get anything done if your wheel isn't right. Man, he tried to put you out. Don't let him win. Get in here, get the damn thing fixed, and get it over with. You know, if you're talking about priorities, I think that Paige should be taken care of first, and then my leg second, because I can take care of Paige with a bad leg. Think about the future. Think about the long term. Don't think about the short term. Paige is going to be around. You heard what Nash said last night, man. He said he's going to take care of family business. What he, what Paige did to your knee, Nash is going to do to his back. Let Nash take care of the business. This time you take care of yourself. Paige is going to be there for you. Get healthy first, man. I'm, I'm serious. Well. You mean too much to the company. You mean too much to this industry. You've got too big of a future ahead of you to risk it on a bad wheel. Don't do it. It's a mistake. I know when I'm right. Hollywood, this time I know I'm right. I've, I've been taking your advice all these years. Take mine this time, man. Well, that almost works for me, but it's not the same as getting my hands on Paige. But if Big Kev's going to do it for me, brother, it's, it's in the pack. That's all that matters. Let's get it done. Let's just get it over with. You'll be back, you'll be back up and running before you know it. The kind of condition you're in, the way you know how to oh, train, yeah. it you know the deal. This whole whole deal doesn't seem right, but I've always followed your lead. Here we go one more time. I trust you, man. Just one more time. Just I definitely trust you. This guy's the best in the world. He's the best there is at what he does. Hogan is at the hospital where James Andrews is going to give him surgery. And uh, James Andrews talks to us about a, a bit about his meniscus tear then we see Hogan roll up in his limo. Bischoff hops out. Bischoff says, uh, you need to get the surgery. And Hogan's like, well, I just got to go after DDP right now, brother. I can't let this stand. And uh, Bischoff's like, uh, yeah, but you can't do that on a bad wheel. You can't do that on a, on one leg. 
Hogan's like, yeah, but, you know, I might as well. Forget the surgery. I'm just going to go fight him. And Bischoff finally talks him into just just do it and you'll be back and everything will be fine. It'll all be okay, brother. You just got to do it. Yeah, then another doctor pops up and talks about Hogan's knee. And uh, I just skipped this part. I don't I don't care about Hogan's knee in 2020. Sorry. Then we tease the hardcore match. Uh, so stay tuned, folks. And by the way, would Hogan come back for DDP? No, that never happened. So that, that was dropped. Flair tells Charles that the show is doing great. I guess Ric Flair had only seen the good stuff, which was uh sting and <laughs> sting and um ddp uh but he says hey charles you're doing great this show's great and uh book steiner and uh booker to be at the pay-per-view and uh charles says sure sure thing boss sure then flair then flair well, dances with his friends in the hospital woo yeah woo ah. i love triple a i'm just saying <laughs> triple a was awesome uh, the hardcore match, here we go. Uh, the guys are already in the ring. They get the jobber entrance here. They all start with four kendo sticks, each of them. Oh, they all team up on Hack, Sandman, until Nobbs nails Whipwreck. Nobbs then uses a ladder and takes out the other three. It looked like he was going to do the Terry Funk helicopter thing, but he didn't. He splashes Hack with the ladder for a two-count. Nobbs takes Horace to Pity City. Nitro... Knowing this is a piss break plunder match takes a commercial break, which shows you how little they cared because it really wasn't until, I mean, this is when you know they're in the shits because they used to never take commercial breaks during matches. Um, We come back, they've all got garbage cans and a surge cooler product placement as they had uh, custom WCW surge cans at the time with like Goldberg on them, Sting, I think Hogan was on one, maybe DDP on the other. Hack sets up a table between the ring and the guardrail, then he sets up another one. Whipwreck hits a guillotine leg drop to Knobs with a chair. Uh, the table that was propped between the guardrail and, and ring never came into play, by the way. Hack throws the surge cooler into the ring and it lands on a trash can and Knobs. Ouch, that looked like it sucked. I don't think he meant to do that. And then Horace covers him, but only gets a two count. Horace decks Hack with his weight belt that I guess he got from his uncle, Hulkster. But Chastity sprays him with a fire extinguisher. Hack throws himself through one of the tables as Horace rolls out of the way, which I don't think he was supposed to do. So they fucked this up. Nobbs gets fire extinguished himself and a kendo stick from Hack, who is... So Hack went through a table and got up before Horace, who rolled out of the way, which makes zero sense but um hack then puts up a table in the ring and hits a somersaulting senton off the ladder through whipwreck and you think the sandman's about to get the win but knob smashes him with a trash can off the buckle and then pins mikey whipwreck with the ladder wonderful then he yells at the camera that bam bam will get to taste a nasty sensation which i don't i hope that that's not what i think it means but um it sounds like Bam Bam's going to get more than a match. He's going to get sexually assaulted by Brian Nobbs, is what it sounds like. Uh, this match sucked. Uh, WCW hardcore matches are the worst. Uh, you might be able to find some humor in maybe the Norman Smiley era 
like uh, when he was screaming Norman Smiley and he had uh, uh, the truck driver guy, what was his name, uh, Ralphus. Yes. Uh, there were some of that was a little bit was of that was okay, but the rest of these WCW hardcore matches just sucked because uh, Turner didn't like people blading, so there was never any blood. There, these were these were just plunder matches, and they weren't WCW just didn't know how to do good hardcore matches, so. Uh, this match sucked and uh, would lead to the Hardcore Invitational coming up at Bash the Beach. So uh, stay tuned, everybody. Uh, what did you think of this match? Yeah, it was a lot of miscommunication and just a lot of people everywhere. And it didn't make a lot of sense. We come back from break and Big Papa Pump has a microphone, which is awesome. So I will include his <laughs> promo. And this. Look, I highly recommend during this entire promo, look over Scott Steiner's left shoulder at the little kid on his dad's shoulders. He's in a black T-shirt. And the dad immediately flips off Scott Steiner. And then this kid refuses to stop flipping off Scott Steiner the entire <laughs> time. And this kid is like six. Is great. Wonderful. Pant of the year. Yes, I highly recommend because he's getting on to his kid telling him to stop and this kid will not stop. It is. It distracted me from watching Scott Steiner. It was that hilarious. I got a message for you, Roddy Roddy Piper. Real men don't wear skirts. And I'm in the NWO and I don't take anything from the WCW officials. I do what I want to do. But I like that matchup with the Macho Man because Macho Man, if you beat me, you're the newest champ. But if I beat you, I get to take your freak and show her what it's like to be with the real Macho Man. So, Macho Man, if you want to take on the man with the largest arms in the world, get your butt down here, because I'm going to trash you. Big Papa Pump says he does what he wants to do, and he says, uh, I swear he said this. He said, if Macho beats him, he gets to become the new ass champ, not the U.S. champ. I swear he said the new ass champ. I think Uh, you're right. Yeah, so uh, Scott Steiner confusing the name of his title. It's not the new ass championship. It's the U.S. championship. Papa Pump says if he wins, he gets to take Gorgeous George as his own and show her what a real macho man is like. So uh, stipulation match here where I guess uh, Papa Pump gets to take uh, the girlfriend of macho man. So a lot on the line here. The U.S. belt and a girlfriend. 99 macho man out. Uh, with Gorgeous George and Miss Madness, who uh, the announcers didn't know what to call her. She had it written on her thing what she was. Like, Tanae and Tony are both like, who's that other woman? It says Miss Madness right there. Just call her Miss Madness. Uh, this is Savage's first match since June of 98. And I was, so I was like, oh, this should be pretty interesting. Like, this will be awesome. 
Oh, boy, I was wrong. Charles Robinson wants to ref this match. as He is a referee, so I guess he wants to do his regular job, too. Uh, Savage gets shoved into Robinson, and Robinson says, No, nah, fuck that. DQ. Awesome return match for Randy Savage. If you've been waiting since June of 98 to see Randy Savage in a singles match, boy, did they really fill your they they really gave you your fix tonight yes yes they did a long time coming we couldn't go without seeing it we had to (laughs) this needed to be done definitely yes yes absolutely uh medusa then attacks charles robinson and rolls him into the ring as medusa was training gorgeous george as we'll find out uh, as Gorgeous George has a match against Charles Robinson at the pay-per-view. So, again, boy, call your pay-per-view provider now. You've got the DFG taking on Booker T, and you've got Gorgeous George, Macho Man's girlfriend, not the dead wrestler, taking on Charles Robinson. Boy, take my money. Shut up and take my money. Um, so the women and Macho Man then strip Charles Robinson and thank goodness he was wearing boxers like Ric Flair. So, hey, did you not notice this is Lil Nate? He's just like Ric Flair, even down to the underwear. So, uh, Charles is left in his boxers. Up next, and they had actually been promoting this all night, so I was curious to see what this would be. Medusa is gorgeous George Trainer, as I mentioned, so we're going to get to see her training montage and it sucked. Uh, this is just like the Raw we watched last week where one female wrestler is training another one. At least they didn't do this. George, this is what I learned from her training montage. She can punch a dummy. You know those training dummies? She can punch one of those. And she can stretch. And that's what I learned here. Because they didn't show her doing any moves. Uh, this was awful. I can't believe they plugged this all night as a reason to stick around. I'm sure... It's bait and it's bait and switch because it's like, oh, gorgeous George, she's beautiful and she's this training video. I bet maybe maybe her and Medusa like make out or something. I'm sure is what they're trying <laughs> to infer, but like, no, it's just gorgeous George hitting a dummy and stretching a bit and just high fiving Medusa. It's just awful. And again, no narration. So it sucks. Whatever. And finally, it's time for our main event, our second world title match. DDP comes out first, Nash is out next, Goldberg follows, and then new champion Sting is out last. They take a break before the match begins, and they take a break, and when we come back from break, DDP has walked out of the ring. DDP treats this main event four-way match like I would if we were playing a video game, like you and me and two other people. And uh, I would let the three of you beat the shit out of each other, and then I'm going to run in at the end and pin somebody. And that's what DDP's strategy was initially. So the three guys, Goldberg, Nash, and Sting, just brawl amongst themselves. Paige finally circles the ring, and he thinks about getting back in the ring. Goldberg beats down Sting and Nash, Page and cheap shots Goldberg as he was prepping for a spear on the both of them. Then Sting hits Stinger splashes to the other three once DDP gets in the ring. A big boot to Goldberg from Nash, one to DDP, one to Sting. A jackknife attempt is broken up by Goldberg. Corner punches to Nash from Sting. A Stinger splash to Goldberg. Nash tries to cover. 
but Sting breaks it up. Nash tries the other thing that I would try, and that's if you hit your finisher or hit a power move to somebody, I'm just going to cover that person and hope you just don't break it up. So I'm just going to pin anybody I see laying down. <laughs> and uh, it never worked for him. Everyone kept breaking it up. He hits a sidewalk slam to Sting, and then he covers DDP, but not Sting because... Uh, he saw that DDP was already down, so he said, oh, he must have taken something big. So uh, Nash, he misses a big boot to Sting. Sting goes for the Scorpion Deathlock uh, on Nash, gets it. But then, unfortunately, even though Sting is looking directly at him, takes a spear from Goldberg. And this would be Sting's demise. Jackhammer to Sting. Then Macho Man runs out to the ring, takes Goldberg out, just tosses him out of the ring. Tosses some knucks to Paige, who decks Nash and pins him after a diamond cutter to get back the title he lost uh, about an hour ago. Uh, he gets a bit of garbage thrown at him and hot tails it through the crowd like a thief in the night, as uh, Mike Tanay put it. And uh, that's the way we go off the air with uh, DDP getting his belt back in a match that was not nearly as good as the singles match earlier tonight. And... Uh, coming off Spring Stampede, which was also a fatal four-way. This is almost the same match, except Sub, Sting for Hogan or somebody. I forgot who the uh, fourth man was in the other match. Uh, but, yeah, this is, or Nash or whoever. This is the same, almost the same exact finish and everything that they just did at Spring Stampede. So... I hated this match. This match didn't make a lot of sense either, uh, strategy-wise, from some of the guys. Um, and it's really disappointing. But as far as getting some heat on DDP, I guess it worked a little bit. But again, he's just a guy with nucks. He doesn't really have a defined character. So I didn't really like this. What did you think? I wasn't a big fan of it, personally. Uh I think that it took away from the fact that we just had a title change hands in one of the greatest matches of all time there and everything's, you know, building up and, and then it just, it took away from a great night. I think WCW with this bait and switch all the time. Like it also broke up any dreams you had of sting and Goldberg fighting for the belt at, uh, the pay-per-view I mean, just do a face-versus-face match. It's not hard to do when you have two guys that are the biggest stars in your company, uh, Sting and Goldberg. Have them fight for the belt. And whoever wins, that's when DDP gets his rematch. I don't think you needed to have this match here tonight to do anything. Like, I almost think that if you wanted to do this, this should have been the first match. If you're doing two title, if you're going to stick to this, do this match first and then do the Sting match as the main event and then just have Sting win. And then that also hooks you for next week because maybe DDP gets his rematch next week on Nitro and gets the belt back if you really have no intention of switching the main event for Slamboree. Or maybe do it on Thunder. But they're not working Thunder. That's crazy. Uh, so, yeah, I thought this match stunk. The, the two four-way matches tonight just were awful. 
when you have uh, quantity, quantity uh, is not always equal. It doesn't always equal quality. And uh, that's that was proven here tonight. So the more is not always the merrier. And uh, sorry to make you watch a pretty terrible, I think, episode of Nitro outside of that Sting match. It was nothing that I would recommend watching. And that's why that Sting match made the DVD and uh, the other matches did not from this night. So, yeah. Uh, and... It also really fucks up the t- title lineage, but once Russo gets there, the title lineage gets real, really screwed up. So, and that's only, but that only, the only people that matters to are dorks like you and me that that love wrestling. So, that look at title lineage and stuff like that. So, when you do short reigns like that, when you do an hour title reign, that just it just it seems stupid because that that counts as you know a sting title reign. Um, so whatever. Uh, on our rating scale of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, where do you rank this episode of Monday Nitro? A DDP. A DDP. Well, he was a a pretty tall guy, uh, a taller than your average. Uh, Joe, uh, I am going to give it a psychosis as he's a, a tall cruiserweight because with his mask on and the horns, I'm going to give him his tallest possible ranking. And uh, because I really did not like the rest of this Nitro, there was there was some stuff that was tough to watch. I was really losing uh, my drive towards the end of the night. It was hard to get to the main event uh, to see what I already knew was going to happen, which was DD. I knew the DDP got the belt back, but I, in my mind. And when I picked this, I thought that it was just another singles match. I thought they had two good singles matches, but uh, no, it was another four way, which Nash got by bitching. So he, and also the psychology of that four way match. So, Nash Nash could have just beaten the other guys down so DDP won because he his st- he would get the title match or Goldberg could have just beaten down Nash and DDP so that he gets the title match or stay so vi- they should have basically teamed up and cuz you're fighting for the main event basically but whatever who cares they don't care this was 21 years ago. I'm trying to rewrite history. All right, Patrick. So uh, that was my pick for this week. Where will we go next time on the Retro Wrestling Podcast? Well, we've got a little bit of time, and so we're going to uh, take a walk back in time. We're going to go back to the year of 1990. We're going to celebrate one of the most unrecognized entertaining cage matches of all time. And this cage match coincides with the memorial that was given to a true legend that had passed away in Rick Rude. We are going to go and see Rick Rude go one-on-one for the WWF title inside a steel cage against the Ultimate Warrior. We are also going to see the debut of a man known as Tugboat. We are also going to see a 
tag team two out of three falls matchup. We are going to see Mr. Perfect against the Texas Tornado. It is SummerSlam 1990. So SummerSlam 1990 it is, and that'll be on the heels of SummerSlam 2020, so a good tie-in there. 30 years ago. Yeah, 30 years ago. I don't think I've ever watched this, so this should be interesting. Uh, that'll do it for this week. You can follow Patrick at Ref Patrick Young on Twitter or search him out on Facebook. He'll answer anybody, uh, even me. Even He'll even answer my messages. Uh, you, can, you can go to RetroWrestlingPodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at RetroWPodcast. And that'll do it for this week. I'm Intern Alex. I am the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my clothesline's a clothesline. And bingo, bingo.